When I look in the mirror, there's quite a lot of improvements that I'd quite like to make. If AI can do that for me, great. There is no better you, there's just you. That's a fundamental, axiomatic prescript for life. And as Leonard Cohen once famously sang, everything has got a crack in it. That's where the light gets in. Okay. <laughs> I'm Tim Cohen, here with Mark Barnes. This is Stand Up Business. Welcome to our podcast. Yes, welcome. It's a week of lots of things happening and numbers everywhere. Yes. The interesting number that I started with this week was that one of the car manufacturers has now brought out a super battery, okay, which takes 10 minutes to charge, which is kind of less than it takes you to fill up with petrol. Right. And lets you drive for 1,200 kilometers. Wow. So let me just say this. If there are some trends, underlying trends in technology, and I want to talk a little bit about AI later, which are going to change our lives, actually, that are actually happening and becoming pervasive, becoming economically accessible. You know, it's going to change the way we think. I've already started to fundamentally change the way that I think about what is a company worth? What is an enterprise worth? And the metrics that used to play out are no longer relevant. You have to go deeper. You have to look into the consumer. So I'm seeing a lot of trends that must have taken years to plant and are now starting to, to show up. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. It's incredible to me how technology is something on the distant horizon. And then all of a sudden it's there, you know, bang. Yeah. And it's just suddenly everywhere. It's strange how it sort of reaches this sort of this tipping point and then slides into sort of common use. I can remember the first time I saw, this is like showing my age, I think. <laughs> I can remember the first time I saw somebody using a, a cell phone. Yeah. And it was, wow, that thing, you know, sort of, yeah. it works. You know, it just works, you know. And not six months later, everyone had one, including me. Yeah. Now, that's the trick, is when you can switch over to affordable retail access. You know, that's when it becomes pervasive. Yes. It's a bit to me like a, a building being constructed. You know, there's a building being built, and it's a building site, and you drive past, and you don't know. So then one day, it's a building. It's done. There is. Okay? It's, it's, it's inhabited. And you're like, when did that happen? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And we sometimes forget how long these things actually take. Yeah to manifest, you know, and I mean, you know, take a bank like Capitec Bank, you know, everyone says, well, it's an overnight success. Not really, it's more than 20 years yes. in the making. <laughs> it is wildly successful, but it kind of took 20 years. Yes. I didn't realize that the first steps in AI were taken, yeah. you know, in the 80s, yeah. earlier. Same with cell phones, by the way. The, the, the kind of father of AI was sort of yeah. operating around about then. They've been working on this now for 50 years. So, you know, it's amazing how long overnight successes take. Yeah, well, that's the truth of it. I, I saw a statistic on AI that 80% of British teenagers are using AI. Now, I worry about that. I worry about the tendency towards the middle of the bell curve that chat GPT or generative AI is going to take us because eventually everyone's answers will be the same and they'll be informed primarily by historic information, not foresight or ingenuity or imagination. I'm quite right about it. You know, it's going to be easier, and there's some processes which are going to be great to have AI helping you with. But it's a terminal, man. That's, that's what it is. It's an information gatherer, collator, regurgitator. And in my view, no machine will be ever 
capable of original thought, which I think is the ultimate test of genius and progress. And I think artificial intelligence is an oxymoron. Okay. <laughs> there we go. That shows how old I am. You think that. You think that our exclusive facility yeah. is our ability to have original thought. But then, you know, I've been listening to, you know, songs created by AI. And, you know, they're not bad. <laughs> so, Tim, you, know, Tim, you have to you get know. out a bit. You know, you need to get out and go walk in the sunshine, my friend. When you're listening to AI-generated music, you've reached the end of your No, no, no. Well, I'm just you know, testing. You know, mindset. I'm just trying to see how, how good it is. <laughs> I've got no doubt it's good, you know. The, the danger is the impersonation and the substitution, I mean, and whether we will at any point lose our ability to discern the difference. And then, yes, no, listen, no, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fabulous tool, but when it becomes generative, it becomes its own master and we sit and watch. You know, there are lots of things like, you know, will children ever learn to drive a manual car <laughs> and how to change gears and how to operate a clutch and things of that nature? And maybe they don't care, and maybe I shouldn't care because, you know, at some point they'll have self drive cars and we don't have to learn how to drive anymore. But yeah, getting old, man. Everybody says, you know, we, we should worry about impersonation and AI. What if, what if the person impersonating you is better than you? Will you still worry about it? When I look in the mirror, there's quite a lot of improvements that I'd quite like to make. <laughs> so, you know, if AI can do that for me, great. Go ahead. It goes to your definition of better. Okay, what's better? Yeah. There is no better than you except you. I promise you that's a fundamental axiomatic prescript for life is you cannot make a better you. And flaws are the center of unity and intersection between people. Right. And as Leonard Cohen once famously sang, Everything has got a crack in it. That's where the light gets in. Okay. <laughs> yes, and yes. I fundamentally believe that the human person and our journey right. actually, should be to walk towards ourselves and discover that person. And I'm sorry, you can't make a better you. There is no better you. There's just you. Maybe okay. I can, can't make a better me, but I can definitely improve in some aspects of my abilities. Well, get on with it, Tim, for God's sake. Forget on with it. All right, let's move on. I wanted to talk about something different. I want to talk about happiness mm. and money. Okay. And the reason I wanted to talk about it was because we've had Black Friday and yeah. Tech Monday or whatever it is. So the, the, here, here is my question for you, right? Mm. Just imagine that you are in one of four categories between 18 and 34, between 35 and 49, between 50 and 64 and over 65 right? Mm -hmm. You know, they did this in America. So, you know, they, these are the numbers we've got. Well, it must be the truth. Yeah. What proportion of Americans in those groups are the happiest? Over 65. No, you know, this is the interesting thing. So, so the, the happiest are the 35 to 49s. You get basically happier until you get to middle age. Then in the 50 to 64 category, you just get very miserable. And actually, over suffer, 65. Uh, suffer from early onset grumpiness, particularly in me. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. But over, yeah. over, after that, you actually get happier again. So after 65, you get happier again, which yeah. is well, according to this. I don't know. Okay, that's the one aspect of that. Let me just tell you the other aspect, and then we can maybe talk about it a bit. The, the second thing is, if you ask all four of those groups, how much money would make you happy? How much do you think each group would say? 
What, in, in units of dollars? I mean, I've got no idea. Yeah, in units of dollars. On so, so, you say, so, so I'm asking you, how much, Mark, how much money would make you happy in units of dollars? I found no foundation for arriving at such a number. <laughs> okay. But I can tell you this. In my view, it's probably the 35 to 45s that want more and the over 65s that need less. That would be my answer. But I mean, where do you live? Do you live in Guatemala or do you live in New York or yes. do you live in Beijing or do you live in Broncos I mean, you can't give a number for how much money you need and how long are you going to live? Well, I mean, I just think it's different. Levels are interesting. So basically, the millennials think that $1.7 million would make them happy. Gen X and boomers think between a million and a little bit more than a million. And Gen Z thinks half a million. So in other words, boomers are kind of modest, if you think about it that way. Gen Z, they're young, so they're (laughs) looking only want half a million. Millennials, they want lots. (laughs) So then my last last graph is just to bring this to investment. How has the S&P 500 performed compared to what people feel about the world? If you compare survey data on whether or not investors are bullish or bearish, how has the S&P 500 performed in relation to that sentiment? I think that the S&P has probably way outperformed people's feelings about it. That's my response. Yeah, 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 it's totally correct. Over the past 10 years, say, investors have been, vast majority have been bearish and the S&P has completely outperformed its historical track. It's amazing. It's a very interesting. It's a complex thing, that, but it's about the cost of money, the, you know, the storage of wealth and the term to maturity of an appropriate wealth storing strategy and, and all of those kind of things. My theory on money and happiness is quite simple. The marginal utility of money for an individual is reached long before they realize it. So long before you think so, Another 10 rand doesn't make a difference to your life. However, if you're 10 rand short, it can ruin your life. You can't get out of the parking lot. You can't pay for bread, whatever it might be. And so out of those two observations, my hypothesis on money is as follows. The value of money is not measured in its abundance, but in its absence. And so really, you know, when you ask the question how much money do you need? You have to ask how much money can you not do without because that's how much you need. And how much money do you want to have a particular lifestyle which is above your basic needs? And those are how you start solving these things and how you start allocating how you're going to save and how you're going to spend for the rest of your life. And all of that is made significantly more complex by longevity. You know, it was all very well when we all popped off at 42, yes. okay? But now we're living to 80 and 90 and more, yes. okay? And there ain't no pension fund annuity that stretches that long in an inflationary environment. So the dynamic has changed and the responsibility for enough money is now intergenerational. Yes. We don't look after ourselves, we look after each other. We start off by looking after the kids and they kind of end up looking after us. The whole world has rewritten the rules of how much money you need, to, in my view. I think there's other things going on here, too. If you did a survey of the news over the past, you know, you know, this is my business. I mean, yeah. I follow the news every day and have for years and years and years. And I, I just think the total quantum of bad news compared to the total quantum of good news as reflected in the media, right? Not, not actually on Earth, but as reflected in the media. 
has been overwhelmingly towards the bad news side, right? So, you know, obviously the media media likes to report on bad news. People are, are much more reactive to bad news than good news. Yeah, exactly. but, but generally speaking, there's now a big disjunction, if you want to call it, between the quantum of bad news and people's actual lives. People's actual lives are getting better. The news is getting worse. And why that's happening is an interesting argument in itself. I put the blame fairly and squarely at the feet of the media, okay, <laughs> because bad news sells, okay. Yes, yes. You know, I used to get up in the morning and look on a Sunday and look forward to going through the papers. A, they take less and less time to get through, and B, when you finish reading, you're just depressed. Yes. And it's in our nature to talk about our struggles more than we talk about our ease, okay. If you speak to a kid that's just come back from school camp and you go, how was it? They don't go, oh, Dad, it was a walk in the park. The weather was fine. They don't. They go, the one night, you won't believe, it poured with rain and we were freezing cold and the water came into us. Even if that was one out of ten nights, right. we focus, we seek empathy for our suffering and for our difficulty. And difficulty is more valuable than ease. And so I think the currency of our lives is actually measured by how many difficulties we conquer, not how many easy paths we had. And so it's natural that people focus on that, I think. And, you know, I don't disagree with it. But then you should, while you're in your misery, you should take some of your money and put it in the S&P already so that you could be happy at the end. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd, be, I'd be interested to know how much social media has plays into that dynamic, into the kind of, Huge. Sort of global misery index. Huge. And also, here's the irony, and also speaking English. I'd really quite like to know, because if you look at the stats in Asia, for example, in India and China, there's enormously, enormously more enthusiasm, positivity than there is in Europe and America. I think we are somewhat affected in our global view by the fact that we speak English and that we don't speak Chinese. Or that we live in a far freer press. I read that some guy has been sent to jail for 14 months, some South Korean, for writing a poem which included praising of North Korea. He went to jail for 14 months, okay? I read that somewhere. Now, you know, if you haven't got freedom of press, and if your freedom of press is defined by your support for the ruling government, then, you know, everyone might appear happier, but I think there's a bubble inside there that you shouldn't burst. No, 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 you know, no. I mean, I look at the performance of China now, and, I, and, and you're starting to see it tail off. And there's only so much you can get out of forcing people to do things, and then you have to incentivize them to do things, okay? And so democracy is full of challenges, but dictatorship has got worse challenges to deal with. And I think, or, you know, autocracy, or whatever you want to call it, and I think there's an element of that in what you're talking about. There's an element in, yeah. you know, can you complain? Can you say how bad it is without getting into trouble? Yes, yes. No, that's probably true. So then talking about things that are less than encouraging, shall we call it that? <laughs> <laughs> how long is your list? Yeah. I'm going <laughs> to just quickly invest it. Before you start this list of bad news, I'm going to chuck a few bucks into the S&P. Okay, go. The thing that I wanted to talk about was TAPS. Oh, yeah. I tweeted this morning, since you raised the subject. Right. Okay, this is what I tweeted this morning. I tweeted, celebrating water coming out of a tap is like applauding a fish for swimming. <laughs> yes, I saw that. I thought that was very funny. 
Anyway, what happened, of course, is the president uh, over the weekend went to uh, a water project and somebody turned on a tap. And, you know, I sort of uh, couldn't help laughing this morning at one of the Business Day columnists uh, who was saying, in the old days, this might have been a kind of triumph, but now it's a declaration of defeat. This is Tom Eaton, of course. Taps used to exist in Roman times, you know, 2,000 years ago. So, you know, (laughs) not the PR exercise that the PR exercise people were thinking of. But anyway, water came out of the tap. That's good. That's a plus. I also saw the video and I sat in trepidation of water not coming out. But let me say this. <laughs> there is no bigger crisis coming our way than that of water. All of these other crises, logistics, energy, any other crisis of food supply, all of these things pale into obscurity in the face of no water. Now, there's plenty of water lying around. In dams and things of that nature, but I'm talking about accessible, you know, reachable, usable water. If that stops for any significant periods of time, people actually go mad. Yes. Okay. The absence of liquid in the body uh, drives you nuts. Okay. So it is. There's no bigger problem. There's no bigger problem. So maybe it is worth celebrating that a tap has got water coming out of. I don't know. (laughs) Yes, I guess. All righty, Mark. Thanks very much. Nice chat. We will talk again next week. Yeah. Got a couple more before we all take a break, eh? But we're not going home yet. Not just yet. See you next week. Cheers, cheers. This show is part of the Africa Podcast Network. The biggest pod network on the continent. For sales inquiries, please contact us at info at africapodcastnetwork.com.